listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message. So let me just say a few things about Caleb. Come on up, Caleb. Caleb is not from Living Word Church. You may know that. I know, but he should be, shouldn't he? I think it's also if you would just kindly welcome uh, Elise. She came here with him. One of the things that I think we all love to see is the gifting and the callings of God just emerging in people, particularly young people. And so um, I've gotten to know Caleb. Caleb just graduated from Wheaton College last year, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And um, I've known him since he was a freshman because he was friends with um, Abby and Tad. Back then, Tad was just a wannabe um, <laughs> friend of Abby. And so he would come down to our house. We'd have Super Bowl parties and different things. Turns out his perseverance was effective because they're now married, uh, serving the Lord in Africa. And anyway, so they're gone, but I still get to hang out with some of Tad and Abby's friends. And so Caleb fits into that category. Um, he's just got a great heart. As I've seen him over the years, just be a part of the community, uh, the Wheaton friends, and express his own love for God. And um, he's doing an internship at a church in Roselle. He plans on going to seminary in the fall. And um, he did biblical studies at Wheaton. And so there's a lot in there. There's a trajectory going here. And I just had the Lord put it on my heart to ask him if he wouldn't come and preach to us. Would you like to hear him this morning? Good. I want to invite you to open your heart because the passage he's going to share and what he's going to share is profound and life-changing. And so it's like Jesus used to say, right? Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And he would contrast that with, he'd say, quote, he'd say, I played the flute for you and no one danced. So while Caleb comes and plays the flute, won't you dance? Won't you rejoice in God's word and encourage the man who's bringing it? All right, Caleb, it's all yours. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me. As Dave said, I've got the privilege to know Tad and Abby for several years. I've been able to worship with you guys before, and it's always been such a, a life-giving experience, and so I'm glad to be here and sharing with you from God's word. Uh, could you please open to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10? Okay. And it reads, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And let me pray, and then we will begin. Father, thank you so much for just being with us here as we come to worship you. Thank you for always being for us and just looking after us, and I pray that we could see you today in your word, that we could see your beauty and your grace, and that our lives would be transformed, and we could be more like your beloved son. I thank you so much for just all you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so oftentimes it seems like we live in a world that doesn't always make sense. We see there's always another news story, another shooting, another school, 
another natural disaster that cuts so many lives short? Are politicians endlessly bickering back and forth and seemingly so few answers? And so our question is, where's the hope in a world like this where everything seems so senseless? And I know even in my own life, I felt that despair. I've always been keenly aware of how much I was given. I was born into a family that loved Jesus and loved me really well. And God was really faithful in just calling me closer and closer to him. But even all of that, I knew how much I fell short. I could see all who God called me to be in his word and just looking around, and I knew I didn't measure up. And so for years and years, I wrestled. In high school and college, in many ways, I was trying to vindicate myself through my performance. Surely if I was the best wrestler I could be, that would glorify God and that would make me worthy. That would make up for all these other shortcomings, all these other ways where I failed. And yet, I couldn't become worthy through wrestling. Despite successes and then later on, after injury after injury, wrestling never brought me what I was looking for. It never brought up what was lacking in me. And so I then started looking around to find answers elsewhere. I looked in the church and had grown up in the church as some of the pastor, and it had always been a source of life and encouragement to me. But now I was looking for one particular answer. How can I be worthy? Is it possible for me to be able to stand before God and actually be faithful? And in many ways, I felt like people gave me so many different answers. There were so many different ways, and under the weight of my own failure, I was starting to despair. Because if we can't stand before God and be worthy to be loved and accepted, well, if we live in a world where that makes sense and I'm no better inside, what, what does any of it matter? Where is the hope in that? And so in the letter of 1 Peter, Peter's writing to the same type of world. He's writing to these Gentile Christians who are scattered across Turkey, and they followed Jesus, they believed he rose from the dead, and yet life is still hard, and so many things don't really seem to make sense. And we feel the same thing. We're following Jesus. And we know the life and the joy he brings. And yet also, life's not always what we expected. There are still many hard days and hard things. And we just don't know how to make sense of it. Yet, it's into this despair, into this bewilderment that Peter is writing a message of hope. In chapter 1, he writes of how we've been born into a living hope. A hope that can't perish or fade. A hope in Jesus. And in chapter 2, he talks about how to those who have not been born again, not been born to this hope, God's word and God himself are nothing but foolishness. He says this is why things don't seem to make sense, this is why we're being persecuted, is that to them, God and his word are foolishness, but we, we are betting our lives on the fact that he is our source of hope, our source of joy. And so we can have hope in a world that doesn't seem to make sense because we believe that God's word is sure and because it gives us the hope of grace. And so Peter starts off the passage by saying, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. And so Peter's saying, we have received grace because God chose us and he gave us a new identity. All these phrases that we just read are supposed to call us back to look at ancient Israel because Israel was God's chosen race, his people. In Deuteronomy 10, 15, it says, Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. And so God 
just out of his love, set his heart on Israel to make them his own chosen people. And they were chosen not because they were this great or this special people, but simply because God decided to choose them. He chose them out of grace. And now Peter is calling the church a chosen race. We now are part of Israel, part of God's own family. And our identity is now that of being God's. And that's not through anything we did or anything we earned. It was despite our failures. Now we belong. And with this new identity also comes these new privileges. In Exodus 19, 5 and 6, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice, my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so, listen to those words. The same way that God describes Israel is the way that Peter is describing us, the church. In Exodus 19, it, God calls Israel a kingdom of priests. Peter calls us a royal priesthood. In Exodus 19, it says Israel is a holy nation. Peter calls us a holy nation. In Exodus 19, it says, Israel is God's treasured possession, and we, a people for God's own possession. And so, here is what Peter is saying to the exiled believers, and what he's saying to you and me. Despite the persecution that you are facing, despite your own failure and shame, despite the fact that we live in a world that oftentimes doesn't seem to make sense, we can have hope, because we have been chosen by God to be his own treasured possession to rule with him as a royal priesthood, to be set apart as a holy nation, and to be his people. And so we have a new identity. We've been born into a new reality. You are God's chosen people, chosen even though you didn't do anything to earn or deserve it. And this is grace, that it's despite our failure, our brokenness. God, in his love, chose us to be his own. And so we can have hope through this kind of grace. The question then is, but why? Why have we been chosen? And so the passage reads, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so we've been chosen. We've also been given a mission. We are to tell everyone about the worth and the beauty of the one who saved us about Jesus. And so he says we were chosen even when we were darkness. And so throughout the Bible, we see darkness as this metaphor for sin and unbelief and ultimately for death. And yet in the Gospels, we see that Jesus came into the world as the light into the darkness. And so we live in a world full of darkness. The tragedies we can see out around us and the tragedies that we can see in our own hearts. And both are a result of sin, and they're bringing us closer and closer to death. But we were taken out of that darkness, taken out of our sin, taken out of our brokenness, taken out of a world that doesn't make sense. We were brought into the light, the light and life that we get with Christ. So now we are a chosen people. We are loved and forgiven and have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so this is our identity, and it shows some of the worth of the one who saved us. And so now, what Peter is telling us is that we have to tell those who are still in darkness about the beauty of the one who saved us. And this should be a natural reaction. If he truly saved us from death and sin itself, how can we not tell others who are still stuck in that same darkness? 
Jesus and his grace are the only source of hope in a world that doesn't make sense and in the brokenness of our own lives. And we can even see this command echoed in God's command to Paul. Paul was an apostle who wrote most of our New Testament. But before God called him, he was stuck in darkness. He was actually trying to persecute the church, to kill every Christian he could find. And yet, even while he was on the way to go to another city to kill even more of God's people, Jesus met him. And later on in Acts 26, Paul recounts Jesus' words to him at that moment. And Jesus said to him, But rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So here we see Jesus giving Paul the same call that he's giving us in the words of Peter. He's saying, Paul, I have saved you and called you my own. I have brought you out of darkness and met you with my grace. And so now, go and tell others of the grace you have seen so that they too can take their place among my chosen people. And so, as God's chosen people, as those chosen by grace, we are to tell others about what he has done for us. And so this is amazing news. But our passage doesn't end right here. Verse 10 calls us back to the Old Testament. But this time, not to Moses and Exodus, but to Hosea. And in Hosea, we encounter something that can seem like a problem. So Hosea was a prophet in Israel who God commanded to marry a prostitute. And he did this because God wanted to show his own relationship with Israel. God was always faithful. Throughout the Old Testament, he was always saying, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he is with Israel and he is for Israel and he is guiding them out of Egypt and bringing them to a promised land. And yet Israel is always unfaithful. They, like a prostitute, are always turning after other lovers, other gods. They're trying to live life their own way. And so when we read in our passage when Peter writes, once you were not a people, and again, once you had not received mercy, as we've already seen, this is who we were when we were stuck in darkness. But these words also come straight out of the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, in the face of Israel's rebellion, God commands the prophet Hosea to name his, his children, no mercy and not my people. For he says, call her name no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. And again, for Hosea's next child, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And these, these are chilling words. Because, and this is also where we find our problem. Because Israel, the people of God's own possession, are seemingly being abandoned for their unfaithfulness. Always before God had promised, I will be your God, and you will be my people. But now he's saying the opposite, that you are not my people, and I am not your God. And here's where we come back to my own despair. Because we've just seen how we were chosen by grace. Cho that God chose us despite our brokenness and our failure. And he takes broken people like me and you. And he makes them his own children. His own treasured possession. But here is Israel. God's children. God's own treasured possession. And God seems to be abandoning them. If this is true, could he not abandon you and me as well? And this is why I despaired, because can, we can see 
the senselessness and how messed up the world is, but also I can see how messed up I am. And I know how incapable I've been of being faithfully following God as I ought. And so where's the hope for me? And where's the hope for us? And so we have to keep reading in Hosea and in our passage to find this hope. How can we have hope even when we are unfaithful? And so in Hosea, just after God's pronouncement that he will give up his people, Hosea writes, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. In the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said of them, children of the living God. And so clearly, something changes. Something goes from when Israel is unfaithful to suddenly now they are restored. And so we see this played out in the Old Testament. We see God give up his people to their enemies. That the northern kingdom is destroyed by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom is taken into exile by Babylon. And they await for hundreds of years in exile in a world that no longer seems to make sense, waiting for God's rescue. And yet, in the midst of that waiting, Jesus Christ is born as a baby in Bethlehem. And he comes to take Israel's place. You see, in Exodus 19, which we read earlier, we focus on how God described Israel as his chosen people, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, his treasured possession. We didn't really focus on how the passage began. So Exodus 19.5 begins, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. So God's promise to ancient Israel came with a condition. Israel had to live up to their side of the covenant. And as we see in Hosea, Israel failed. They failed to follow God and they turned to live in their own way. And we, we do much the same. But here, here's where the grace comes in. And here's the answer to all my despair and the seeming senselessness of life. Jesus, the son of God, God himself came down to earth to fulfill Israel's side of the bargain. Jesus lived the life that Israel was always supposed to live, that I was always supposed to live. And he died on the cross for our sins. Yet, not only the sins of Israel, but the sins of all who would turn to him. And so this is where we are in the book of 1 Peter. And this is what Peter's trying to tell us. He said, once you were not a people, we were sinners stuck in our sin. Once you had not received mercy, we were in rebellion against God and rightly deserved his judgment. But now, Christ has come. And he's come to call us out of darkness and death and sin and unbelief. And he's calling us into new life with him. He has chosen us and he bought us with his blood. Where once it was said, you are not my people, now it is said, you are God's people. Where once it was said, you had not received mercy, now it is said, you have received mercy. And so this is gloriously good news. And we should celebrate it. And so here's our hope in a world that seems hopeless. We, despite our failures and despite our brokenness, have been loved by a beautiful Savior who chose us to be his own and part of his own family, simply out of grace. And so this is the heart of God. He wants us to be his treasured people. And he makes this happen not because of anything we did or are doing or will do, but of what he has done and continues to do through Jesus. And he gives us grace. And the moment we meet his grace, everything about us changes. Our identity, our reality, it is all different. We still live in a world that a lot of times doesn't seem to make sense. 
and we still feel our brokenness, but we are no longer our own, no longer what we were, no longer sinners and failures. We no longer have anything to be ashamed of. We are the beloved of God, and no one can take us away from him. And so, how then should we respond? And I have two brief things. First, we should rejoice. God saved us when we didn't deserve it. He fulfilled our side of the bargain. He chose us as his own. He gave us grace. How can we not praise and glorify him, even as we've been doing this morning? But second, we should do as Peter commands, and we should tell everyone about the one who saved us. We encounter so many in our everyday lives who are still stuck in darkness, stuck in sin and death in a world without hope, without hope of life, and yet we've been called out of that. We know the one who can call us out of that, who gives us life and hope and meaning again. And so God has chosen us. And so let us now tell everyone we can about the one who loved us and saved us and has given us hope again. And please pray with me. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for us, that you chose us even in our sin and our brokenness, that you called us your own, you made us part of your family, your sons and your daughters, and we couldn't be more grateful. I pray now that we could just see your beauty and that would change us more and more into the image of your son, that we could go out and, and show Christ now to the world through our words and through our actions and that you would just always remind us that you are indeed with us and that you are for us and that you loved us and you will never forsake us because Jesus fulfilled our side of the bargain. I thank you, Lord, for just being who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. And uh, we appreciate that. Yeah. I, I think the, the idea of us just being kind of recalibrated in our identity on grace Right, because that's the excellencies that we speak of, and experiencing that grace and knowing that grace and sharing that grace is very, very powerful. So, thank you for your effort and the way you presented that. Outstanding. Um, I think for us, for me, as we hear this word about proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us, I mean, how many are you ready to just declare an excellency? I mean, do you have an excellency in mind that you could declare? I think the title is good, and I want to just reiterate this to all of us. Um, this week, you need to share God's grace with somebody. This week, as a response to just hearing again what Christ has done, and what God has, has not because we've deserved it, or just as, as Caleb was saying, we've earned it, but that God's grace has met us and transformed us. Do you think you could share God's grace with someone? I think we need to. I think if we're going to be obedient to the scripture, if we're going to receive this word for ourselves, man, there's going to be an outward response of simply saying, God's been gracious to me. I think many times we we don't share about Christ, we don't share our faith because we feel either a personal failure or we don't exactly know how to explain it. We don't feel like we have it all together ourselves. And I think what we've just heard from 1 Peter helps us because you can talk about grace. You can talk about the gift of God. I know when um, um, our daughter got a, um, a letter from a college, right? And we were anticipating an acceptance letter. And it came while she was still at school. 
And so you get it, and you just want to open it, right? But you can't open it because it's not addressed to you. That's mail fraud. That's illegal. And so, but Sam and I were like racing to be the first one to show Ellie the letter. Look what came in the mail today. Look what you got. Open it, open it. We want to see what's in it, right? And somehow the messenger of the good news was a privileged position. You get credit. So you remember when I brought you that acceptance letter? It's like part of my, you know, resume now. Listen, it's the same when we're sharing about the grace of God. Be the one eager to share something good. And you don't have to write the letter. Jesus already wrote the letter. You just need to deliver it. That the grace of God has appeared to all people. And so let's stand together. I want to give you practice as these guys sing. Do you have a song? Which one do you have? Breathe on us. Perfect. Let me invite you just to step deeper into God's grace. If you feel like the Holy Spirit's doing something in your life, I invite you, just bring that to God. Cooperate with the Lord. Say yes to God. The, the, the lyrics in this song are perfect. Breathe on us. Holy Spirit, come. Ask God to work that deeper into your heart. Ask God to help you remember the scriptures you heard today and the preaching you heard today. Ask God to give you boldness and grace so that you can deliver the letter. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.